Thank you. Praise God. What an awesome morning it has been so far this morning. Amen? Let's just give God a shout of praise. Come on. Just for everything that he's doing in your life, for everything he has done, for where he's taken Reuben from and where he's taking him to. Amen? The best is yet to come, brother. That was such an awesome testimony, bro, and I, I commend you and I honor you for getting up here and sharing that. Because testimony, personal testimony, is how we're going to reap harvest. Amen? Personal testimony. And bro, you've got a, you've got a huge part to play in this. Amen? I just see you as a giant, a giant in the faith, brother. It's so good. It's so good. But I'm going to pray first before I share this morning. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you're doing, all the things that I don't see. I thank you for the things that I do see, and they are many, but there are infinite more that I don't see. And I give you thanks and glory and honor and praise for having your hand over every part of our lives. And this morning, Father, my prayer is that as I speak, your words would come forth, Lord. And as I speak, that there would be hearts out there that are softened and ready to receive the seed of your word. Father, I pray that that seed would be well watered and come to fruition and bear great fruit for your kingdom. Lord, I declare that this morning would be a morning of freedom, that someone will get set free this morning, that someone will have chains broken this morning, Father, as they accept you into their life, as they listen to your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Who's expectant for God to do something this morning? The atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. The atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. I didn't make that up. I got that from Israel Houghton. Look him up. Great musician, great singer, great worship. It's amazing. But the atmosphere of expectation is a breeding ground for miracles. Who needs a miracle this morning? Just one person. Fantastic. That's right. We've got an atmosphere of expectation here for you. Amen. I need a miracle. Who needs a miracle in the house this morning? Amen. We need a miracle. And praise God, we have it in Jesus. I love seeing the baby getting dedicated this, this morning. Arlo, I tell you what, not only is Arlo a miracle child, he's born from a miracle child. I don't know if any of you know Tania's testimony. She shared it before. But she herself is a miracle child. Amen. And so there's a legacy of miracles there. There's also a legacy of, of relationship building. I know that, Matt, you have a calling over your life for building relationship. Yeah. You're good at it, man. You just naturally, I don't know who, who here has walked into the church for the first time and Matt's come and said hi to them. I mean, come on. There's a few of us around here. Matt is fantastic at coming and saying hi to someone new. And that's something we should all be doing and following that example. You're amazing. But kids sometimes, kids sometimes can get our heart pumping, Right? I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and uh, my two-year-old, he's coming to the stage now where his tarangas are not working so good sometimes, and, uh, and his legs are working just fine, and sometimes he goes for a run around, and you've got to run after him, you try, you try and call him back, and he's like, no, no, I'm off doing my own thing, Dad, I know, I know, I'm out, I'm out to explore this world. And it's cute, you know, it's cute. It's frustrating, but it's cute. They're learning independence. They're going out. They're testing boundaries. And my son, he'll run out. I remember this, and we've all, we've all had it. I remember this one time, my nephew, he was about the same age, and he was staying with my parents. And my parents live on this driveway that's about hmm, 100 meters long, maybe. And they live on Waimati North Road. And, um, and we turned for but a second 
and my nephew was down the end of the driveway. Happened to be the time his mum turned up. (laughs) Who knows that no matter how many kids you have, when one of them is not where you expect them to be, who's consuming your thoughts? The one that is lost. Who's consuming your... You're not worrying about your kid that's just scraped their knee and you're not worrying about the kid that's going, I'm hungry, and you're not worrying about the kid that didn't wake up in time for school. You are worrying about the one who you do not know where they are. They are not in the house. They are not under your care. I tell you, that's the only thing I'm thinking about when my son goes missing. If I, can't, if I don't know where my boy is and I think there's a possibility he could be out lost somewhere outside the protection of his family, he is the only thing I'm thinking about. Can anyone attest to that? Yeah? The same thing is for our Father. Our Father in heaven has a heart for the lost. And if we're going to see this harvest that is ripe, that is out there, come into the house of the Lord, come back into reconciliation and relationship with the Father, we need to have a heart for the lost. In Luke 15, there are three parables that Jesus speaks of, each one of them about losing something precious and that if you lost that precious thing, you would go after that and never mind the ones that are safe. I'm telling you right now that it's awesome that we're here lifting up the name of God in this place, but I'm going to tell you something. God's heart is out there for those that are not in here. You're here safe and sound. You're sitting under the word. You're fellowshipping. You're lifting his name high. You're praising God. And he's stoked with that. And he would, there's blessing that comes with that. There's an open heaven above every single person here. You are walking in your calling. You are doing amazing things for the kingdom. But his heart yearns, yearns for those ones wandering out there that don't know him. In Luke 15, 1 to 7, <laughs> I'm just going to read you this, the parable of the lost sheep. Some of us will know this well. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, that's Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. All the religious leaders came around and saw all of a sudden Jesus was surrounded by sinners, tax collectors, and all the, all the people that you know, the, the, the Jews did not associate with. It was not fit to be associating with them. The ones that needed God the most. And they went, ugh, this guy's hanging around with these people. That's not right. That's not proper. And Jesus said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls around all his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. 
God is stoked that you walked in here this morning. But for the one of you or the two of you or the three of you that do not know Jesus sitting in this house this morning, that have not received him as your Lord and Savior, you will feel God knocking on the door of your heart this morning. And something as we speak, as we talk about God, as the word goes out, will be resonating with your spirit. And it might be uncomfortable and it might be testing you. But I'm telling you now that wrestling is a spiritual wrestle. And right now God is knocking on the door of your heart. And heaven will rejoice when you receive Jesus. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Praise God. Praise God. So what for us? What part do we have to play in the harvest? A big part. You are saved to be the light. You are saved to be the light. You need to take that heart that God has for the lost and make it your own. You see... Every single person in this room is an answer to somebody's prayer. And when we feel that unction from God to go out, not to Bible bash or preach the word to someone or drag someone by the ear and drag them into church, but simply to love somebody as is modeled to us. When we feel that unction, we need to move. We need to move. In 2 Corinthians 5, 15, we discover that in coming to the Lord, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him. And we've been learning that and have learned that as we receive Christ into our lives, there's a spiritual death that happens, represented by baptism. That as we receive Christ, our old selves, our old nature, the selfish nature dies. And it gives place for a new birth, a new spiritual birth, a new creation. And the purpose of that new birth is so that we wouldn't live for ourselves anymore, but we would live for Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. And rose again. So how do we do this? Because what we can sometimes do as Christians is we can enjoy this righteousness that was given to us as a gift, freely given, and we can start acting like we earned it. And there's nothing that is going to turn the harvest away from these doors more than a self-righteous Christian. <laughs> I say again, there's nothing that's going to turn the harvest away from these doors quicker than a self-righteous Christian. You see, our righteousness was a gift. We didn't earn it, and therefore we cannot expect others to earn it. And so for us as Christians, we walk out the love of God. We walk out the love of God. Not by pointing out where people are going wrong, but by pointing out the one who's gone right. By pointing out the one who has the way back to the Father. The gospel is all about reconciliation. And if we're going to reconcile the lost out there, if we're going to reconcile someone who doesn't know the Lord back to the Lord, we're going to need compassion. Compassion. We're going to need compassion. A couple of years ago, we had a leaders prayer meeting. And uh, this is a great time that we have at the beginning of each year to talk about vision we hear from our senior pastors about the direction they feel the Lord is taking the church in. 
And all of the leaders gather around and we are prayed over, prophesied over. Um, there's been a few babies that have been prophesied out of that. Uh, Pastor Ruth's got the magic touch there. So um, if, you, uh, if you're not wanting to have a baby, you might have to be sick that week because she might prophesy over you that you're going to have a baby. Hallelujah. <laughs> there's power in that. Um, but one of the things that happened to me at one of these meetings was uh, Ian Bilby, uh, one of our elders. He prayed over me and he prophesied that I would be crowned with compassion. And I thought, oh, I don't think I'm the most compassionate sort of person. You know? I'm, a, I'm a systems man. I like to make, thing, make things run properly. Um, and if, if people like it, that's fantastic. If they don't, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and and I, I struggled with this, like this real heart for the lost. You know, I had a heart for the house. I had a heart for making this all work and making sure people felt loved and welcome. But the heart for the lost, I didn't quite connect with. But Ian prophesied over me this crown of compassion. And it's taken a while, but I finally started to understand why. And Ian brought this verse last week. He brought this verse out of Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And it shows us how Jesus operated out of a place of compassion. If anyone had the right to be self-righteous, it was Jesus. If anyone had the right to tell someone exactly where they were going wrong, it was Jesus. But the way he modeled evangelism to us, the way he modeled us bringing people back into the family was through a heart of compassion. And we see this in verses 35 to 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. I don't know if you came in this morning feeling weary and scattered, but there is a good shepherd who wants to welcome you home. And like Reuben mentioned before, he's actually been walking with you this whole time. And he's welcoming you home this morning. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He was moved so deeply. He could see so much need. And who knows, there's a a lot of need out there. Now, right now, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord that he would bring in the workers for the harvest. And praise God, I see him bringing in the workers for the harvest. I see the brother Reuben. I see the brother Martin. I see Nate. I see Jaden. I see Wayne. I see every person sitting here under the word. You have been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. You are the workers for the harvest. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I see Pastor Paul. I see Pastor Ruth. Called. 13 years ago to start this church. And the cool thing about the way that uh, Pastor Paul and Pastor Ruth started this church and what God put on their heart and what he shared so many times to us is that this church was planted with a vision to build a bridge of relationship over to the community. Compassion by itself is not going to do it. It needs to be compassion 
with relationship. Real change happens in the context of real relationship. Who knows that no one's, every, everyone can give advice. Everyone's good at giving advice. Everyone's a great backseat driver, keyboard warrior. You know, we're all good at telling other people how we think they should run stuff. But without the foundation of a relationship, this is going to fall on deaf ears. Our heart is for compassion in the context of relationship. And that's what I love about this house. We build a bridge of relationship over to the community. Not so that we can drag them over here, but so that we can go and meet them. Just as Jesus did. Meeting people where they are. Building relationship. And as they follow, as they see, as they sit under the love of God, that's when the transformation happens. Because who knows, it's not you and I that brings the transformation, but it is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus had compassion. This is not only the only place that he had compassion. When Jesus encountered two blind men who accosted him on the way out of, uh, of um, Jericho, he saw these two blind men and they called out and they said, Jesus, help us. He was moved with compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and followed him. Through compassion we find healing. When a leper, bold as brass, kneels down before Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus is moved, not with condemnation, but with compassion. With compassion. Stretched out his hand, touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. When he came across a funeral procession, the dead man was the only son of a widow. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Compassion can bring life. The law and condemnation, that'll bring death. The compassion and grace of Jesus Christ, that will bring life. And we want a living harvest coming into these doors. Amen? 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 Like I said before, the gospel is all about reconciliation. Reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are blessed to be a blessing, church. We are reconciled to God so that we can operate in the ministry of reconciliation. We are to go out there and bring Jesus, the love of Jesus to people, so that they would be turned and reconciled with a loving Father. With a loving Father. I was moved, I was moved to tears by Reuben Ruatoto's testimony this morning. Just a story of reconciliation. The father was out to get him back into the house. 
He knew, he knew that he was out there without a dad. And the father stepped in and he said, I am your father. Be reconciled to me. Be made whole in me. And praise God for the work that he's done in your life. In verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation. Jesus is about relational ministry. Jesus didn't just go out and, and, and impact millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people all at one time. He didn't just come out and just go, bang, man, it would have been simple if he did that, wouldn't it? But that's not what he's about. Jesus changed the world one disciple at a time. You see, for those of you that are hearing me and going, oh, Reuben, you know, I've got a job, I've got a family, I'm struggling with this. I'm just barely walking my own with the Lord. And you're telling me now that I have a ministry to go out and reconcile. I'm not an evangelist. It's a gift for somebody else. For those of you that are sounding like this is just too much, too much work, Jesus changed lives one person at a time. He changed the world one life at a time. You see, that job that you're too, that, that, that you're too busy in, that job there is your place of ministry. That family that you're too busy looking after, that family is your place of ministry. And in each of these places, God has called us to build relationship. And through relationship, show compassion. And through compassion, change the world. It only takes you to be compassionate and loving and turn one person to Jesus. And for them to turn another. And for them to turn another. And for them to turn another. Imagine if you did two already, twice as much. And just exponentially. As generations go on, you could touch two people today and in three generations, that could be a hundred. You are called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Each one of us has a calling and a purpose in Christ. Changed lives change lives, as Pastor Paul loves to say. I love it. Changed lives change lives. Simply talking to someone about what Christ has done in your life can change their life. Amen? Simply sharing the love of God can change a life. It can turn, and the thing is, when you're changing a life, you know, the, the ones that we've seen come up and share their testimonies, these are not just one life changed. You have an entire legacy ahead of you that if you would turn today from the old self and turn into a new life with Christ, your children, their children, their children, their children, multiple generations blessed by a one turning to God, by one encounter with Christ. Amen? Amen? So it's more than just you that this is about. This is about more than just Reuben. This is about Charlotte and Reuben, their whanau, their kids' kids, their kids' kids' kids. Generations. Generations blessed, a legacy of blessing, a legacy of freedom inside of a prison cell. Your kids will never experience the depth and lows of, of addiction, 
because of the decision that you've made to turn and receive Christ and walk in the fullness of the freedom He has for you. It is about more than just you. Jesus wants to change your life. To have a meaningful relationship with you. And it's more than about meeting your need where you are now. I don't know where you are or what you're walking through in this moment right now today. Jesus wants to help you out with that. But there's a bigger plan. There's a bigger purpose to your life. You are more than just what you're struggling with. You are more than just the sum of everything that you are struggling with. You're more even than your achievements. You're more than your job or your lack of job. You're more than your addiction. You're more than your own strength. Jesus has a calling for you that is greater than anything you could imagine. But it all starts, it all starts by turning from yourself and turning into Jesus. So I don't know where you're at this morning with Jesus. I don't know why you walked in this morning. And I don't know what he's been saying to you while I've been preaching the word. But I know that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And if you do not know him, if you have never received him into your heart as your Lord and Savior, now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of your salvation. The only way you can change lives is by being a life changed. And in Ephesians 1, 7, Paul says to the church, I keep asking that God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. So that you may know Him better. It is Jesus' desire God's desire for you to know Him and not just know Him but grow in your knowledge of Him grow in your relationship with Him and as you grow and as you are transformed and as you are changed you change lives around you you're the answer to someone's prayer but it starts with just a simple prayer of salvation here this morning change lives change lives